The passage today is from Zechariah 14, and we'll be reading verses 3 to 9. This is God's word. Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives will be split in half from east to west, forming a huge valley, so that the half of the mountain will move to the north and the half to the south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for the valley of the mountains will extend to Azal. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of King Uzziah of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. On that day there will be no light. The sunlight and moonlight will diminish. It will be a unique day known only to the Lord, without day or night, but there will be light at the evening. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it toward the eastern sea, and the other half toward the western sea, in summer and winter alike. On that day, the Lord will become king over the whole earth, the Lord alone. alone. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know my name, I'm Caleb Cabe. I'm the assistant pastor here at Reconcile. Uh, me and my wife have been attending for almost four years now, and she is the um, children's minister director. And so I'm just super excited to be able to share God's word with you this morning. There's a little ringing in my ear. If you could, that's okay. Um, so this is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is the season where we celebrate the coming of Jesus. First, his, his coming into the earth when he took on flesh, but also we recognize that he is going to come again. And the first Sunday is talking about hope and the hope that we have because Jesus will be coming again to return one day. And so the question that I want to ask this morning is how can we have hope? How can we have hope? When we look around in our life, we may be dealing with mental health issues, anxiety, depression. We may be um, struggling with the loss of loved ones. We may be struggling um, financially. We, we look around in the world and we see all of these problems and all of these issues and all of these reasons for us not to have hope. And so the question I want to ask this morning that I believe our passage will answer is how can we have hope? How can we have hope with all the uncertainty around us. And the book of Zechariah was written to the people of Judah who had returned to Jerusalem after the exile. So if you know your Old Testament really, really well, you know that the Israel was a nation, there was a king, and then um, one day there was, uh, the nation was split in two. So there was the northern and the southern kingdom. And both of those kingdoms fell into idolatry and they worshiped other gods and they left the God who had delivered them from the, the, uh, from the land of Egypt. And after this, they were taken into exile, both the northern and the southern kingdom. And so the people of Judah had been living in exile in Babylon for 70 years. And after 70 years, they were able to return and they began to rebuild the temple and rebuild their city. 
And so all the things that had happened to them in the past 100 years is their temple had been destroyed. The nation, they had been taken away from their homeland to go live in this foreign place. Their government had been overthrown. They no longer had their kingdom that had been set up before. They had been separated from their families. And the symbols of their religion have been destroyed. And even if they could return to their home, there was not much of a home for them to return to. And so you, I kind of resonate with this, that they feel like there's not much, they, they didn't really have much to look forward to. They didn't have much hope. And the book of Zechariah was written, uh, Zechariah was a prophet, and he was prophesying to give the people hope. He was saying, you have a reason to hope, and this is why. And he talks about the coming kingdom that will come when God will return and he would make everything right. So let's pray, and then we can jump into the text. Lord, I pray that you would encourage your people today. I pray that you would speak through me, that you would help me to get out of the way. I pray that you would help me to not be um, puffed up with pride. I pray that you would help me to be humble. I pray that um, you would help me to speak your word with boldness this morning. I pray that you would open our hearts and you would speak to us and you would help us to obey your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And so there's three things that we're going we're gonna to see in this passage that give us hope for the future. The first thing we see is, is in verses 3 through 5. We can hope because God will appear and he will rescue his people. Look at verse 3. It says, Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. Who are those nations? The, those nations are the people who were against God and the people who were against God's people. So God's people, uh, Judah, they had endured so much hardship and so much suffering over the past hundred years. These are the nations that God is going to come and fight against. The picture here is that our God is a warrior king who is going out to fight for his people. It says the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. Judah was probably asking at this point, who will defend us? They had returned back to their land. All of these nations around them were giving them troubles, were, were trying to, to um, mess up the work that they were trying to do. And they're asking, who will defend us? Who will be the one to make everything right? And God is promising that he is the one who will go out as a warrior to fight for his people and defend his name. Note that it mentions nations plural. It's not just simply one nation, but God is powerful enough that he will go up and fight against all of the nations of the earth who would go against him and against his people. And when he comes, he will appear in power. Look at verse 4. It says, On that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives will be split in half from east to west, forming a huge valley, so that half the mountain will move to the north and half to the south. 
When God comes, there's, there's two things that I notice here. The first thing is that he will not be hidden from the world. When he comes, he will show up and everyone will see him. It says he will be standing on the top of a mountain. So everyone, all the nations of the earth will be able to look up and see that the king has returned. But not only that, he will come in power. And his power, when he comes and lands on the mountain, the mountain will be split in half. Split in two. The image that I see here is like a superhero, right? Like a superhero comes down, lands on the ground, and it leaves a crater. We've all seen this in a movie. Well, our God is so much more powerful than that. He will come down, land on a mountain, and the mountain will be split in two. There's nothing that can stand against our God. He will move it out of the way. And it says that his presence will create a huge valley in the mountain. Like, just imagine this picture. His presence moving a mountain, completely breaking it in half, and pushing one side to the north and one side to the south. This is the strength of our God. And he will provide a valley for his people to flee through. Look at verse 5. It says, you will flee by my mountain valley, for the valley of the mountains will extend to us all. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of King Uzziah of Judah. The imagery here is the same as the exodus from Egypt. So the, the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. They were under oppression, and God saw his people. He, he, he picked a man, Moses, to go to the Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Well, ten times Moses told Pharaoh, let my people go, and Pharaoh said no. Eventually, he said yes. The people of Israel left. They escaped uh, Egypt, and then the Pharaoh changed his mind. So he goes after the people of Israel, and they come, they find themselves up against a sea. There's an ocean in their way. They can't go around it. And the people of Egypt are coming with their chariots towards them. It seems like all hope is lost. But God tells Moses to raise up his staff. He raises it up and the sea splits in two. And the people are able to go safely on dry land through the sea. And then God closes it up saving them from the Egyptians. Well, this is the image here, that God splits a mountain in two. His people are able to escape through the mountain to safety. And there's two things that they're being saved from. The first is they're being saved from the nations mentioned before. These nations are up against the people of Israel or, the, or God's people, and they're, they're finding protection going through this mountain. But also, they are able to escape the coming judgment when God will judge the nations. And they, because God has opened up this valley, the people of God are able to escape judgment. Look at the end of verse 5. It says, Then the Lord my God will come. This is right after the people flee through the mountain. The Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. And so the first reason for hope is because our God will appear and he will rescue his people. The second reason for hope this morning is that God will appear and he will judge his enemies. The Lord of armies will fight against the nations of the earth. 
There is no king, there's no general, there's no warrior, there's no president who can compare to the might and the power of our God. There's no one in authority who oppresses people who can stand before our powerful God. Who could know more than the one who knows everything? Who has more wisdom than the one who is ageless? Who has more resources than the one who can create from nothing? Who has more courage than the one who has never known need? This is our God, and he is greater than any opponent. One of my favorite movies is Nacho Libre, and there's this, there's this wrestler in the movie. His name is Ramses. He's, he's the number one wrestler, right? And so there's this quote. There's, there's this guy, he, he's massaging the, the wrestler, and he's like, Ramses is number one. His arms are number one. His legs are number one. His eyes are number one. His muscles are number one right? This is the picture of our God, that name a category, our God is number one. He is greater than any foe. And he is coming one day. He has promised that he will come one day with his armies to defeat all the nations of the earth. And now when you hear this, this might be comforting or it might be frightening, depending on where your citizenship lies. If, if your citizen, if all of your stock is in this earth, this present place right here and right now, this might be frightening to you because this will all come to an end. But if your hope is in a future where God is the king and his rule is everywhere, then you have hope this morning because all of this is going to come to an end one day. We are dual citizens. I'm a, I'm a citizen of the United States of America, but more importantly, I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven that is going to come. Peter describes Christians in the New Testament as strangers and aliens. We don't quite fit in. We're not quite home. But we're waiting for a day when we will finally be fully part of the kingdom of God. And during this judgment, there will be confusion and chaos. In verse 6, it says, On that day, there will be no light. The sunlight and moonlight will diminish. It will be a unique day known only to the Lord, without day or night. But there will be light at evening. Have you ever taken a nap, and then you wake up and it's dark outside, and you're real confused? That happens to me pretty much every time I take a nap. I'm real confused when I wake up. This is kind of the picture here, that it's like it's daytime, but it's dark, and it's not quite night, and it's just confusing and chaos. This is how it describes the judgment that is going to come. It doesn't get into a lot of detail of what exactly is going to happen in the judgment, but know this, that it will not be a pleasant time for those who are experiencing it. Peter describes judgment in the New Testament as the earth being stored up for fire one day. I don't know exactly what is going to happen when God comes back to judge the nations who stand against him. But I know that I don't want to be there. I hear some people talk flippantly about judgment like, oh, well, I'm just going to party with my friends in hell one day. This is not what 
it is going to be. It's not going to be a party. It's not going to be fun. And I don't want to see judgment. This is why it's so beautiful that God has created a valley through the mountain for his people to escape this judgment. That we don't have to look forward in fear. We look forward in hope, knowing that God has made an escape for us. And then in verse 7, at the very end, it says, There will be light at evening. In other words, after the judgment, the sun will rise. Imagine this image of a forest fire wiping out an entire forest, right? And so it's ashy, it's smoky, the ground's all black and everything. And then imagine a little seedling like sprouting up out of the ashes. This is the picture here that after the judgment, the sun will rise. There will be light. And although God will come to judge the earth, the judgment is not the final chapter of the story. The final chapter is him recreating the earth, building a kingdom for himself and for his people to enjoy. God's intention is to bless. And although he will judge, his plan does not end there. So the third reason that we have for hope this morning is that we have hope because God will establish his everlasting kingdom. Look at verse 8 and 9. It says, on that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it toward the eastern sea and the other half towards the western sea, in summer and winter alike. On that day, the Lord will become king over the whole earth, the Lord alone and his name alone. Everywhere over the entire earth, everyone will be filled with the Spirit of God. Jesus said in the New Testament that he is the living water. This living water flowing out of Jerusalem, covering the earth. Jesus is that living water. And if you drink from him, you will never be thirsty. How often do we drink from wells that leave us thirsty? We're looking for satisfaction, drinking from all of these wells, and we still end up thirsty. Jesus is the living water. If you drink from him, you will never be thirsty. This is his promise. And this living water one day will flow out, covering the entire earth. Jesus' presence will fill the entire earth. Have you ever been in a a moment of prayer or a moment of, of reading the word or something and just feel this joy and this presence of Jesus? You ever feel that? This will be our experience forever in eternity. Jesus' presence will fill the entire earth. We won't be able to get away from it. It'll go as far east as you go, as far west as you go. His presence will be there. It doesn't matter what season of life, whether it's winter or summer, spring or fall, his presence will be there. This is what we have to look forward to. And Jesus will be the undisputed king over all. His kingdom will never end. His kingdom will never be shaken. There will never be a nation to come overthrow his kingdom. We will no longer fight against his kingdom. All of our desires that are against him will be gone. This is the answer to to the Lord's prayer. Like, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We will see this one day if we are trusting in Jesus. 
We will see his kingdom come on the earth. We will see his tangible rule and reign and his will will be done on the entire earth. This is what we have to look forward to. And a kingdom is only as good as its king, right? Like if you have a really good king, that kingdom would probably bless its subjects. If you have a bad king, its subjects will suffer. Well, we will have the perfect king ruling and reigning over the earth, and we will receive his blessings. All of the scriptures point to Jesus. We, we believe that all the scriptures point to Jesus. And so how does this passage point us to Jesus? Well, we were once the nations going out to battle against the Lord of armies. We were chasing our own desires, we were chasing our own lusts, and we were fighting against the king over all. But Jesus came and he was the mountain that was split for us, creating a valley so that we could escape the judgment that was coming. If we trust in Jesus and trust in his sacrifice on the cross, then we can escape the judgment. And he absorbed the full wrath of God so that we who would believe would experience the blessings of being in God's kingdom. And on the day that Jesus was crucified, the sun went dark in the middle of the day. And after absorbing God's, absorbing God's wrath, on the third day, Jesus rose up again from the dead. And he freely pours out his spirit to all who believe. If you believe in Jesus, then you have the spirit of Jesus living inside of you. And you can experience his, his, his presence today. And Christians, on, are, Christians are in every continent in the entire world. It says that the living water flowed out into the entire world. Every continent has Christians worshiping Jesus today. And Jesus is now establishing his kingdom on the earth through the church. If you are part of a church, then you are actively part of his kingdom on the earth today. And so how, how can we obey this? What, what practices can we put in our life as we wait for this coming hope? Well, if we look around us and look at our circumstances and look, if we just live life, there's a million reasons for us not to have hope right now. Like there's, there's a lot of reasons that we could look around and feel hopeless, that we could feel discouraged. But Advent, the time of, of looking at Jesus coming, it gives us a reason to look to Christ, the only one who can give us hope. And whatever we fill our minds with are probably the things that we're going to believe and think about. And so my challenge for you during this season of Advent and my challenge to myself is let's fill our minds with the hope that comes from the Scriptures. The Scriptures give us hope. Let's meditate on the Scriptures during this Advent season. Now, in, in secular meditation, you, the, the goal is to empty your mind, right? Right? But in Christian meditation, the goal is to fill your mind with the truths of Scripture. So there's a, this is going to get real practical. There's, there's some ways that we can meditate on Scripture. 
One way is to read large portions aloud or to listen to loud portions of Scripture aloud. So you can, you can get a, an audio Bible on your phone. I think the, the YouVersion app has an audio Bible you can listen to. There's a Streetlights audio Bible, which is people reading the Scriptures over a, a little lo-fi beat or a hip-hop beat or something like that. Another way to meditate on Scripture is to repeat a verse or a sentence from Scripture over and over in your head. You can do it silently. You can do it aloud. You could be washing the dishes, just repeating a verse over and over to yourself. Another way to meditate is to memorize Scripture passages. You can memorize a verse. You can memorize a chapter. You can memorize a whole book. Start with like the book of Jude because it's real short or something. There's a way that we can see Scripture as like an encyclopedia or like a reference manual. Like it has all the answers for any of the questions that we might have. But according to Scripture, it's meant to be read as meditation material. Like if you look all through the Psalms, it's, it, David is talking about how he meditates on God's Word, how he pours over God's Word over and over and over again. He's not looking for an answer. He's looking for He's looking to receive the presence of God. That's what he's looking for. And it's meant to be read as a, as a life, for a lifetime, as ongoing meditation, that we read it over and over again, meditating, mulling it over in our head. Like, imagine a, a, a steak. You don't just put a, a piece of steak in your mouth and swallow it immediately. You chew on it, and you chew on it, and you chew on it. This is how Scripture is meant to be read. And if you're asking, how do I, or where do I read Scripture? We have um, a, a church-wide reading plan. It's called the CBR Journal. You can get it on your phone. You can get it on your computer. You can get a physical copy. And it tells you two chapters every day that you read. One from the New Testament, one from the Old Testament. And so in the season of Advent, I want to encourage all of us, let's meditate on Scripture, and let's meditate on the hope that is coming because there's so much to be hopeless about in this world. But we have hope because our King is coming. He's coming to rescue His people. He's coming to judge the nations. And He is coming to establish His kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, You are the King on Your throne. There is no one who could stand against You. There is no one greater than You. Lord, help us to put our hope in you. Help us to trust in you. Help us to um, not focus on the things in this earth or the things in this life that would pull us away from you. Give us the strength to meditate on your scripture. And I pray that as we meditate, that you would come and you would help us to feel your presence. That we would receive tangible hope and joy in this season. Thank you for coming and for, for sacrificing um, yourself on the cross. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.